Amen. Thank you, Sarah and the music team, for tuning our hearts again this morning. Good morning to you here. Good morning to you uh, by uh, live stream. Uh, we do sense your presence also, those that are joining us by live stream, and we appreciate it. Uh, we, we welcome all of you, and we're thankful actually for technology that enables us to uh, join in different ways. Um, the technology from the sound and the mics and all of the uh, enablement that uh, is given to our instruments, but also the, the cameras and, and the internet. Who knew that the internet would be supporting uh, gathering and worship together? But praise the Lord for that. It's good. So the question is, um, why can't people just agree? Uh, well, really, that sentence means with me. Uh, when we say, why can't people just agree with me? Or, uh, don't they get it? Uh, which means, why don't they see things my way? Uh, you know, we're not going to have unity unless everybody agrees. Well, is that really what unity means? Does unity require agreement? Does unity mean same or sameness? If that is the case, if that is the, the, the case for uh, unity, for what the Bible describes as unity, well, what is the basis of that kind of unity? Who's, whose agreement, whose opinion do we settle on? Is it mine or yours or this group or that group? And if it's sameness, is it the way I dress or the way you dress? <laughs> What does unity really look like? What does it really mean? What does the Bible tell us? What does Scripture tell us about unity? You know, we uh, have, have discovered uh, the, the travails of unity. Jesus prayed for people when He was on earth in His earthly ministry. He prayed for people. He prayed for disciples. He prayed for those that would become disciples in the future. And what he prayed for was oneness or unity. He prayed that people would become united. And he had some pretty strange math, which we're going to get into. And when he showed his work, when he explained the basis of it, it was even more strange. So here's the thing, Westview. We envision Westview to be a diverse people, many and different people, who also have a deep sense of belonging that are united in God's love. So that is what we're going to explore this morning. And we know that uh, people disagree. It's a fact of life brought about, uh, uh, the evidence of which is even more uh, obvious in this circumstance that we find ourselves in today. In fact, it seems like anger is all the rage. And you don't need to go that far. You can, sometimes you have experience of that in your own families or extended families or in the school or in the workforce. Or if you go onto social media, for those of you that do that, whether it's a news feed or Facebook or TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, whatever the case is, if you want to see what's going on, really going on, just drop into the comments section. 
and you'll see. Actually, don't drop into the comment section. Uh, I want to spare you from that. But human nature, and I've, I've, I've come to think of it as this, this 4D process. It begins with disagreement. Disagreement then, from disagreement it goes into defensiveness. Defensiveness turns into division. And division, finally, the outcome is departure. Or as a, a common nomenclature today is cancel. Go from disagreement to defensiveness to division to cancel. Departure. Cancel culture. Just cancel. You're gone. You're out. And humans are pretty good at this. In fact, we've been doing this for a long time. We draw boundaries and lines. We draw lines. Look at the map. We have a, a, a big global map in our uh, rec room in, in our house. And there's all kinds of lines. Sometimes they're like, what in the world? How did, they, how did you decide? And we get to all these lines. And we do this even more particularly. We get into high school, for example. And you see that there are, there's the, the jocks are over here. The, uh, the academics are over here. That's a nice word. Right? Because... You know, I think high schoolers would call them like geeks or nerds or stuff. And we're just calling names now. And then you have the artists are over here and the socialites are over here. And we basically, that's just high school. But that's kind of like you get to university and those are now like departments. <laughs> right? It's like the department of science and the department of etc. And so we get all of this going and we basically say these are our peeps. And uh, we stick with our peeps. Actually, there's a technical word for that. It's called homophily. You may have heard the familiar phrase, birds of a feather stick together. And churches do this, too. Uh, there's a book, uh, the, the Big Sort is the title of a book where this author explores how Sunday morning seems to be one of the most sort of uh, divided times of the week. But what's interesting is, as humans do this, we develop a posture of us versus them. Us versus them. And them is everyone who's not our peeps. But what happens to the them is that the them develops into enemies. And we run the risk the church, people of faith included, run the risk of being enemy makers. And because this is human nature, it's not bound by time. So when Jesus had started his earthly ministry 2,000 years ago, 30 AD, he recruited, he invited several different men, uh, 12 in total, to, to join him. And what we discover, as it is uh, uh, written in Scripture, we discover that this 4D human nature process had percolated to the surface even with these guys from time to time. They, couldn't, they just couldn't resist. It was human nature. Now, Jesus' public ministry was only about three years. Well, he turned 30-ish in around there. Then he began sort of his public, what they call his public ministry, and it lasted about three years. And it was the last part of that was particularly poignant 
It was horrific. It was spectacularly miraculous as he finished that last part of the chapter of his earthly ministry. I mean, in the last week alone, he was captured, he was betrayed, he was captured, he was tortured, he was killed, and he was buried. But then he was raised from the dead. (laughs) And then, in subsequent weeks, he, Jesus, started to appear to many people, nearly 500 in total. And then after that 40-day period, then he assembled his disciples together, those that were followers of Jesus together, and he had these parting words that he gave them. And then he left again, and he ascended alive, physically, bodily, to a, yes, a mysterious place that we cannot see at this point, but he is there. That last chapter of his earthly ministry, it, it accelerated and it escalated. And he knew about human nature and he knew he was leaving and he knew he was essentially giving responsibility now to the people. So he had communion with them. And they talked. And they ate. And they sang. And they prayed. It's like a church service. It's like a life group extraordinaire. He told them it's going to be difficult and challenging. If you are a follower of Jesus, he said, it's going to be challenging for you. You know what? He said, this is a strange thing. He said, you know, people are actually going to hate you. Not you're going to hate people, but they might hate you. And he said, I'm promising to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you power and enable you. Just like the Holy Spirit, Jesus The same Holy Spirit that enabled and strengthened and encouraged Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that would in the very near future raise Jesus from the dead. He said, that Holy Spirit I'm going to give to you. And then Jesus prayed for them. Because he did not want the typical human nature to unfold the way it did in that 4D kind of manner. So he prayed for them. And we're going to read just an excerpt of that prayer. You can read the whole prayer in John chapter 17. But we're going to drop in to read a section of it in John chapter 17. I'm going to start at verse 20. So he just finished praying for his disciples. And then he says in verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, and that they may become completely one. So that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. 
Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. That's Jesus praying in church. Oh, my goodness. Jesus prays for oneness. He prays for oneness, for unity. Jesus envisions a community that is united together. He envisions a community, a congregation that have people from all over the world that are assembled together and one. That there are many, that there are thousands, that there are hundreds of thousands. He said, I'm praying not only for you disciples, but I'm praying for those in the future who will become disciples. And that list is huge. And he's got all this massive number that he envisions. And he says, I'm praying for all of them and they'll all be one, united. It's crazy math. It's crazy math. But then as math teachers do, he shows his work. He says, this is the basis of what I am talking about. The basis of what I am talking about is God himself. He says that God is one. That's a, a, a proclamation that was made already in the Old Testament. It was like a, a proclamation that, that the Old Testament people, that the Israelites memorized. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, God, the Lord your God, the Lord, the God is one. Deuteronomy 6, 4. And yet, as Scripture shows, God makes Himself known to us in three persons. He reveals Himself and He makes Himself known, God the Spirit, in three persons. Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is what Scripture is telling us. This is what Jesus is describing here. And so he's saying it is possible for many to be one because I am many, I am three, but one. We are united. He's really describing, as one scholar put it, that there is a unity in the community of the Trinity. This theology of the Trinity, Trinitarian theology, this concept, this doctrine that God is three in one is so vital. And yeah, it's complex because our, the way we do math isn't the way that they did math, and we kind of try and do things in a linear plane, but it's so important that we understand this concept of God being three in one. This concept is what helps inform us into a particular view of marriage. This Trinitarian theology informs us in terms of how we view men and women in ministry, for example, being completely equal and why our denomination ordains women ministers. It's this theology of the Trinity that sets the foundation, but it also gives us a foundation for what unity looks like and what the church is meant to be. It's so important. 
<laughs> I was talking to the staff this week and saying, you know, I find it difficult. How am I going to talk about the Trinity without sounding like a nerd? You know, without getting all like weird and technical and stuff. But I'm going to just explore this a little bit, just unpack it a little bit because it's so important. And Jesus is saying in his prayer that, that they are in each other, that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And then he explains earlier about the Holy Spirit, that they are in each other, that they are distinct but without division, that they actually participate through and in each other. They participate together. So there is, uh, at the cross and resurrection, we see in the frame of the cross and resurrection, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are saved. Our salvation is through the participation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there is this mutuality uh, between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it isn't that one is inferior or that there is hierarchy. They are equal. It is a unity of different. A unity of difference. Uh, I had some scripture references that I was going to include in the bulletin. Uh, if you want those, I have a pile of them. They didn't make it in. We got scrunched for space. But I would be delighted, and maybe we'll put them up on the website as part of this so that you can check out the scripture references, some of them that I have there. But this oneness, so now we understand God is three in one, and he's saying, I want the church to be one as we are one. He says that I would be in them and they would be in me. So the way that the church can be united, the way it can be one, is if we are, it, it is predicated on our being in relationship with God, being in our relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's how it's possible. And that condition is so vital and important. But here's part of the good news. That condition of us being united with Him is so vital. But the good news is that God has already done most of that for us. <laughs> because when God sent the Son and the Son became Jesus, fully man and fully God, listen, He bound human being to Himself. When he became a human being, he united the human being to God. That unity already has happened there. And that unity is what makes possible the salvation of a, all of us human beings fully. Our physical, emotional, volitional, all of it. So he's done all of that. So the remaining part for us humans, for us to do, is to say yes and to accept and receive that. So much of it has already been done. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And that he would pray for this to take place. This is, I believe, when he says uh, that I, the glory that the Father has given the Lord, he says, Jesus says, that's the glory that I have given to them. Because listen, what he is saying to the, 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 about the disciples that were there and the disciples in the future, the Part of that glory is that rather than following human nature's 4D process of disagreement, defensiveness, division, and departure, they follow a different way altogether. They follow the way of Jesus Christ. We follow the way of the cross. It's an entirely other way. It's a the way of Jesus. And when we do that, and when he prays for that, 
what happens is that particular group of people that chooses to do that, well, they then display and reveal the glory of a God who is united, a Trinitarian God. They display the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And people recognize that. Because unity in the midst of particularly in diversity is unique. The world doesn't do it. The world doesn't like it. The world doesn't want to have anything to do with that. But when the church does it, it reflects the glory of the Lord. It reflects the glory of Jesus, the Son, Holy Spirit, and God the Father. So I wondered... How could I illustrate this? Well, God, we learn from the outset, is spirit. He is spirit. But then we understand from Scripture that He began to communicate with us. And of course, He has to communicate with us because we're humans. And we think a certain way. We, we, we can only grapple and understand things a certain way. So He reveals Himself as Father. Now, God becomes a little more visible to us. We begin to understand. But it doesn't finish there. He also comes and He reveals Himself as Son. I should have had a towel. But then, he says, I'm going to send you the Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. In Judea, Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now God the Spirit is more known to us. Distinct, but without division. This is the Lord. And, you know, scientists will tell us that there is an explanation uh, uh, there are properties. There's an explanation for why this is possible. There is also a spiritual relational reason why this is possible in the church. And the Lord says the spiritual relational properties for this, the reason it's possible for us to be distinct but not divided, to be united, is because of love. Love is what can make this possible. So even when things get really upside down, we can be united 
You know, what, what does unity look like? Well, it looks different. It looks very different. What does unity look like? What does biblical unity look like? It looks like the Trinity. It looks like God. What does unity look like? It looks like His glory. It looks glorious. We are loved. We are healed. We are rescued. We are saved through divine community. It is through the community of the Trinity. And this is what is meant for the church. This is what the church is meant also to be and to reflect and to, to mirror and display. The love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' will and desire, friends, is that Westview be this kind of a community. That we resemble the Trinity. That there are many diverse and different kinds of people that make up this assembly that have a deep sense of belonging. Not the same. Exactly not the same. Distinct, but united. Without division. Because the church is the present physical working of Jesus right now on earth. Remember, he left the work to people empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's this kind of a church that is united in this way, diverse and, and a deep sense of belonging. It's this kind of a church. This is the kind of a church that is the hope of the world. It's the hope of the Northwest Calgary. It's the hope of Calgary. It's the hope of Alberta. It's the hope of Calgary, Alberta. It's the hope of Canada. It's not actually the voting booth. The church is the hope. The, the voting booth is a partial sort of governmental experiment, but it's the power of the church to bring meaning and meeting people and displaying the glory of the Trinity. To be that presence. And so this unity, this way of following Jesus is our politics. It is the way we live. The, the way we organize ourselves is by being united with other people, by being together with people that are different and distinct than us, but not by creating divisions. It is when we discern a way to live together socially, morally, that becomes a politics. So there is a politics. This is our politics. And friends, it stands in stark contrast to the polarization that the world goes in. The world is on a trajectory, thanks, no thanks, to the spiritual forces of wickedness to create enemies and to create sides. And we see it all the time and we're seeing it again. It's polarized. You over there and you over there and ba-bing. But when the church of Jesus Christ is united, even particularly because of distinctness, it stands in such stark contrast and it displays the glory of the Trinity. So God is working to build a church. He's, his, his kingdom work is to build a community, to build an assembly, to build a church. 
not just individuals. It isn't only that, but to build a church, to build a community that looks this way, to build a community where there is mutuality, where there is no inferiority, where there is no uh, ar- you know, uh, uh, hierarchy, but where people are equal, where that becomes a mark of the followers of Jesus, that becomes a mark of the Trinity, that kind of a church, like the colors in a gang or the vests or whatever it is, but that unity becomes the mark. Can you imagine that Jesus prayed for this to be the case. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you and me. He prayed for your friend and your classmate and your your family member and your neighbor. that you would follow Him and that we would be one and we'd be united. He prayed for you. He, he stitched you together. He knows you. You are an answer to prayer. When we are united in following Him, we are an answer to prayer. And you belong. And your classmate and your co-worker and your neighbor belongs not because I or anyone is saying so, but because the Lord Jesus has prayed for that to be the case. It's His will and His desire. No wonder why Westview, we envision that Westview will be a diverse people, that we hope and aspire to be an assembly and a congregation of many in a variety of different kinds of people that also at the same time they have a deep sense of belonging to the Lord and to this assembly, that they feel they belong here. They belong to the Lord and they belong here, united in God's love. I'm going to pause here for a moment and to take some questions. Um, we're going to start this Q&R process of question and response. If you have a question, uh, you can get your phone out and you can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca. Yes, you heard the pastor say, get out your phones. Imagine that. But we're, we're tithing that way. We're asking questions that way. If you are li- on live stream, uh, you can text or, a- or email ask at westviewchurch.ca. Or if you want to, and you're in the auditorium here, and you want to raise your hand, uh, we'll get a microphone to you, and you can stand and ask a question. But we want to get into the practice of, of asking questions that Jesus was saying. Ask, seek, knock. Uh, we'll see if we have any, any questions that, that come up there. Yeah, I even learned this week that you can text an email. You think yeah. like generation. It was mind-blowing. Gary's <laughs> educating me. It was amazing. You can text that email, but yeah. you can email it as well. Um, one question uh, that did come up here um, is, if Christ speaks so much about unity, mm-hmm. then why do we see so many denominations within the Christian church? So if uh, Christ talks about unity... Why do we see so many denominations in the Christian church? Yeah, yeah so that's good, and we do. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why 
denominations develop. And so a couple of things. We, one is to consider and ask why that happens. Now, some difference is good. So to have some difference helps us. So different churches help us to see things and to hear from them and to get different perspectives. So some difference is good. But often, it's just scandalous. Often, it's just horrific. It could be something like the color of the carpet. And it starts off with disagreement, like I said, and from there it gets into defensiveness. And we, we, you can have a, 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 denomin- a church's split, and then within that split, now we could get into quantum mechanics, but you'd get from there another split and another split, and you're trying to find out and you can trace back. I've met with some churches, and I've tried to have them retell the story, and they're not even exactly sure how they landed where they landed. So, I heard someone say recently that it isn't the case that we need to figure out how to disagree less. We need to figure out how to disagree better. The reason I say scandalous is is because when there is a disagreement, the Lord isn't saying, dig in your heels and start creating a a them posture and an us posture and then create enemies. What He actually said was, ask, seek, knock. He's encouraging investigation, but that requires dialogue and a posture of Jesus' humility and dialogue. So I, I could keep going, but I better pause. Say, in case there's another one. No, that's a great question. Okay. Any, any others, uh, if you want, you can uh, send those in. We'll try and follow up with those. Thanks, uh, Tyler, for, for, for doing that. So we'll, we'll get in the practice. You, go ahead and send them in. You'll, we'll do our best to respond. What Jesus was letting people know is that a new way of living was breaking into reality. It's partly what we sang about. A new way of living was breaking into our world, inaugurated by the resurrection of Jesus. A new way, this kind of a way. But this kind of a way, as I was alluding to, uh, requires our ability to have conversation and dialogue. It necessarily means that as disagreements come up, or, friends, when sensitive and complex and difficult subjects arise, and they do all the time, we need to figure out how to have conversations in those kind of ways, in a, in a Christ-like manner, in a, in a productive way. So, Tyler was talking about this cadre class that's coming up that uh, Bill Christison is, is teaching, starting this evening. The subject is important. Absolutely. But the other part that's important is that it's a sensitive subject. It's coming to grips with some of our own blind spots, some of our own racism, some of the ways that we see other people as being uh, different and therefore uh, set apart somehow or othering people. But, so the subject is important, but also the other thing that's important is through that class, we're going to start figuring out how do we actually have a conversation on tough subjects where we can still love each other and have communion when it's over? Because the difficult subjects just keep rolling, don't they? 
But it's possible. It's possible through the presence of the Holy Spirit. People are feeling, and, and now especially, I talk to young adults and teenagers and seniors, people are feeling lonely. They're feeling isolated. They're feeling marginalized. Like they don't fit in. And yet, our brains are literally wired to connect. Dr. Matthew Lieberman is a, a professor of behavioral science. He's a social cognitive neuroscientist. And he wrote a book called Why Our Brains Are Wired to Connect. The title, Social. It's not a religious book, but it sure could be. And what he is saying in there is that the way our brains work, that when a person experiences social rejection, it is the equivalent of a physical pain. But he also says, Lieberman also says, that our brains, the way we are made, we are predisposed to respond positively to signs of acceptance. We are predisposed to respond positively to a sign of acceptance. And that is the glory of the Lord and the glory of the Trinity because He accepts. And when the church begins to reach out in that way, so imagine, uh, Westview, imagine that we are joining with the Trinity. We're joining with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and also becoming that kind of an inviting, giving signs of acceptance to other people, giving signs of acceptance. Could we imagine that? that person that's in your hallway in your classroom, imagine that when you look at somebody that you see difference, because we see people that are different than us, it's not, we shouldn't ignore that, it's beautiful, that's the way God has created it to be. So we're not blind to it, it's beautiful. So when we imagine that when we see someone that looks different or is different than us, the way they dress, whatever the case may be, but we see difference as being potential and even necessary to the Trinity, being necessary to fulfill God's view of what the church should look like. We need people, his desire is that we have people of difference that come together. So we see difference that way. That person in the class, the person cutting your hair, the appointment you go to, the neighbor across the street, imagine that you just open up space and give a sign of some kind of acceptance. <laughs> it's like handing out chocolate for the brave. Imagine that you can actually see God in other people, because we're all created in the image of God. Imagine when you look at someone, you, you, you pause for a moment, you go, I see God in you. I see God in you. I see God in you. Imagine 
seeing yourself in the other person. Something about you and you, you recognize it. Imagine you see something about the other person in you. It's beautiful. It's the Trinity. We envision Westview to be a diverse people with a deep sense of belonging. United in the spiritual, relational properties of love. Music team, do you come? Heavenly Father, we love you. Jesus, we are so grateful for your sacrifice and your ongoing prayers and Holy Spirit for your guidance, for your empowerment, and for your leading. We pray that you will glorify yourself in our midst, that people will see Westview and give glory to you. Amen.